0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Romance and Color. We're here with a very special edition of Romance and Color for Pride Month. It is our Pride uh, Romance panel featuring some wonderful, wonderful authors. Um, we have four authors here that are absolutely amazing, and we're going to talk to them about a number of things. A number of uh, issues regarding Black and queer lit, Black and queer romance. And so um, before we get started, I want everybody to kind of go around the horn and introduce themselves and let folks know who you are, you know, what your preferred pronouns are, if you like. Um, and um, that's it. I'm going to go eeny, meeny, miny, right here. So Chaz, you go first.
1: <laughs> I knew it.
2: Come on, man. Thank you for having me. I'm Chaz, my pronouns are he or they. Um, I'm located in LA, specifically Echo Park. And I have two novels co-written with the wonderful Fred Smith. And I'll popcorn to him.
1: (laughs) All right, hi everyone. My name is Frederick Smith. I use he, him pronouns. I am currently located in San Francisco, California. However, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I am the author of five novels, um, including two that are co-authored with Chaz, Busy Ain't the Half of It, and In Case You Forgot, and then my first three titles are called Down for Whatever, Right Side of the Wrong Bed, and Play It Forward, and um, I'm so honored to be here today, and I've worked with almost everyone who's here, including Fiona, (laughs) lots of times, so I guess, Fiona, you're being (laughs) popcorned.
3: Okay, Um, hi, (laughs) I'm Fiona Zed Um, and um, she, her pronouns, and I am originally from Jamaica and I'm right now living in Madrid. Um, It's late, so if I look tired, forgive me. I just flew in here yesterday too. So I'm like, ah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I've written a few novels. I can't actually remember right now how many. Um, but my last few, um, my last couple are um, Stud Like Her and Femme Like Her. And um, I work with a bunch of different publishing houses. I self publish as well. I just like to do, just get my work out there however and whenever I can.
0: Fiona's um, novels are so steamy. But anyway, <laughs> so steamy. I'm like, <laughs> some of them, Not all of them, some of them. OK. <laughs> All right, Aaron.
4: Hi, my name is Aaron Foley. I am a debut novelist. Um, my title, Boys Came First Came Come First. <laughs> Boys Come First Ca- came, out, it came out last week. Um, so it's still very new for me. Um, I'm based here in Brooklyn, specifically Bed-Stuy. Um, I, but I too, like Fred, am also from Detroit. And so this is the first time we've seen each other like talk and like, it's been all like email and stuff like that. But guess what I have in front of me? I have Fred. and (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so yeah, it's um, good to be here. Thank you, Toski, for Inviting me, and I'm so excited for this conversation.
5: Oh, thank, you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That support each other. That's awesome. Yeah. That now it's awesome. going to be a
1: book love fest here. <laughs>
5: yeah. Yes.
0: First of all, I want to thank Fred for helping me kind of organize this and getting you all together. This is like a dream panel for me. I want to give a shout out to Katrina Jackson, who's not able to make it on the panel tonight, but um I would have been freaking out anyway because that's one of my faves. Like top phase period um That's but um, <laughs> um katrina if you're listening to this just know that we miss you um and wish you were here for the conversation we love you um, Katrina. yeah miss you katrina so before we get stuck, vacation
3: <laughs> i know
0: <laughs> so um let's get started i want to ask um and I kind of start the, every interview that I do with authors with the same question, which is, you know, how did you fall in love with romance? Like, so basically, what is your romance origin story? So, whoever wants to jump in, jump in and answer first, and we kind of go around the horn. Let's do it.
4: So,
1: I used to, um, so my mom actually used to read novels, romance novels, and I used to sneak and read them. Um, and I would like book, I would, what do they call it when you open them up to the good parts
0: <laughs> when you're an adolescent,
1: <laughs> you know that? And so I used to, um, find my mom's uh, romance novels or whatever, and I would, you know, look for the good parts. Um, and she read, like, I remember things like, um, I remember scruples and, and, um, there might've been some Beverly Jenkins there and things like that. So my mom was a reader and um, then for me it just became um, just kind of a natural extension like like I'm a big kind of academic school person but my um, love of reading for just personal use um, is something that I always turn to for um, just pleasure and enjoyment and Mm -hmm. so a lot of my like initial reads um, especially when it came to it, it might, have, might not have been the formulaic romance, but like mm-hmm. like Black queer novels with romantic elements. So like Elin Harris, James Earl Hardy were like two of, I guess, the pioneers who I read. Yeah. Um, and then it just went into you know some of the other Black queer writers who were um, like really big in like the 2000s and the 2010s and everything like that. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely Elon Harris, James Earl Hardy were like my first black queer romance um, kind of role models and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I have
2: a similar experience. So my, my love for romance started off as a reader. Um, I would read in high school, even Harris, I would sneak off to the library and the library, the librarian um, got real familiar with me and ordered all my <laughs> even Harris's books for me. <laughs> it was really great. Um, and then in undergrad, I just started to follow many romance novelists, and Fred was one of them, um, Fiona was another, and when the opportunity presented itself for me to co-write with Fred, I jumped at it because I knew I loved the genre, and I had personal connections to writers who wrote a romance. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm. I guess I'll go. (laughs) Um, Very similar as well, like my my mother mainlined it when I was in the womb more than likely. She was like reading um, romances, read to me. And uh, when I was far too young, I was also trying to sneak in and grab the novels and find the good parts and dive in and be like, and just be shocked. And then um, I don't even remember when it started but I started trying to like duplicate, like write, similar stories at first it was blamed plagiarism but then it got <laughs> published <laughs> it was terrible i look at my old diaries and i'm just like go oh my god really so um yeah i just started to, to copy what i was writing and then eventually just wrote my own stories and um luckily found an audience so yes moms are to blame
4: <laughs> um, my mom is to blame as well uh, <laughs> Shout out to Scruples and Judith because my mom had that too. <laughs> oh my God, we probably bookmarked the same pages. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. So my mom had every Judith Crantz novel, and she had Jackie Collins, uh, Elon Harris, which um when I was young and I knew what Elon Harris was writing about but I knew I at that point when I was very young I knew I should not have been reading it but I was um and Terry McMillan was also a big staple in my house so all of the authors and then I gotta shout out Zane like not, now my mom did not have any Zane books but everybody I went to high school did and you used, oh yeah you, you could not like read that like out in the open you had to like pass that around like it was like you know, whatever, like, so, um, the other big influence I had on stories, not just, like, I grew up in a, a household where people were reading, my mother was a reader, my grandmother was a reader, um, but, uh, I always wanted to write, and so I was, I, too, would try to, like, copy and, and things like that, a big, another influence on my, like, storytelling was where, especially the romance part was, like, I also grew up in a household where everybody watched the soap operas, so, like, <laughs> So, like, I was, a, I was a CBS strictly household. Like, <laughs> my, mother, my mother was Young and the Restless, mostly and Bold and Beautiful. My grandmother and my grandmother were all four. So it was always, elite, like, it's different from market to market. But in, in Detroit, it was always Guiding Light, then the news, then Young and the Restless, Bold and Beautiful, as world turns. And maybe General Hospital, like my great grandmother watched CBS and ABC, and she literally had two TVs and two VCRs to take. So being exposed to that very young, very early, and talking about like, you know, summers off from school and, and watching the stories with them, a lot of that influenced me very early on. Yeah. i'm so
2: happy you mentioned abc because i was like we were a cbs and abc family over here
0: like, <laughs> we, we, were shit, stri- we were strictly abc you cannot turn from ryan's hope all my children <laughs> in general hospital my grandma would cut up if you turn the tv away from that mm. that's so weird like my and then when Port charles came along honey, you can you could not even uh, turn the tv from that oh, yes man. we were
1: a split family too my grandma was one life to live and as the world oh, yes. turns, that's an odd combo. But I was always younger, restless, and bold and beautiful.
4: Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's
1: honestly
4: that's honestly where all the black people were. Like all the black people were on Young the Restless. Well, now yeah. mm-hmm. definitely Young and the Restless. So,
1: because yes. every black grandma yeah. wanted to be Katherine Chancellor with them <laughs> diamonds and the hair and her romances even up until her 80s and everything. <laughs>
3: We were we were on like the the least um, popular one. We were on NBC, which I think had like the wild, like possessed people, and the guy who would never die, and the the villain that kept on just like get getting who's coming back to the show. People having like yeah. years long amnesia. Was that Days of Our Lives, Stephanie? Days, yes. yes. Days, that Days of Our Lives. That's yep. what I That
4: was <laughs> Stephanie in Days of Our Lives,
5: I knew she was describing Stefano Damira. De mm-hmm. Yes.
4: And Marlena
1: was just possessed again.
5: Yes, you when you like said that possessed, that I knew Don Marlena. Remember who he was and oh
3: my goodness.
5: I thought other soap operas did that foolishness too because that was the only one I
3: watched. <laughs> Ooh, me too and i remember that was the first time i saw was it either um days of our lives or another world i saw anne Hage before she started dating helen ellen ellen yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah
0: yep 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 she was an actor on there yes.
3: it's so
1: funny how like every time i listen to like um you know black romance writers talk about their origins it either goes back to like elon harris or Terry mcmillan or to the daytime soap operas. And so it's really interesting that connection between daytime drama and a lot of our careers as writers.
0: So interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think we just cut our teeth on like fantastic, you know, storylines and plots and, you know, just wow, uh, crazy. And I think when when
5: you're watching it with your mom and your grandma, and you just kind of at those young formative years, you just kind of internalize it Because I know I was also reading the the romance books and stuff from the closet when I was like probably too young and it just kind of becomes a part of you and then, Mm -hmm. you know, years later. So I'm curious. Now, how is queer romance different than straight romance or or is it any different? Are there different tropes that we might see?
2: I wouldn't say it necessarily is different. The trope is kind of the same, but I would say that queerness in itself is kind of different than hetero, like heterosexuality. There's different kinds of relationships. There's different ideas of family and friendship. So it could look a little different, but at the essence, at the core, it's kind of similar, but there could be some more complexities when we're talking about love and lust and, and creating relationships with different people.
3: Mm-hmm. I think most time, well, not all. I shouldn't say that because it depends on on the author and, and how much realism they want to put in there in their queer stories. But oftentimes there is that um, touch of reality where the reality is most folks or some folks aren't very accepting of your your queerness and and or the the life you have, and so you sometimes uh, put in that um, the battle against society in your stories and and how that fits in with. With the actual romance of the of the of the plot, how that interacts with it, maybe um, breaks it, closeted people, all these different things. But by necessity, I think that you know society figures into it somewhere in terms of like, are they um, against? Are they felt as this barrier, as this pressure? Um, and I think sometimes I do add. I'm like sometimes, all the time, maybe, but <laughs> I do add like how the how my queer characters interact with society if they're looking for acceptance if they don't have acceptance if they are closeted or if they're you know they've encountered you know queer bashing I feel mm-hmm. like you know by by adding those things you're you're acknowledging that they exist even though they're really crappy mm-hmm mm-hmm I'm mm-hmm.
1: gonna was...
4: think oh go ahead Aaron. oh no go ahead no you go here Yeah, I I, I mean, i just very quickly say the same thing in terms of like, I think, especially with with Black queer romance and Black male queer romance, there's always the, I think with straight romance, it's just like, oh, you fall in love and you get to, there's an outward expression of of love and romance that straight people don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. But I I think Black queer romance, some of the characters that I was trying to write do kind of have to think twice about the outward expression like there's one character who um that I wrote that um that likes to hold hands in public and he was saying that like well I can't do this back home but I can do this with another dude in a different city because they're not judging me as much as they are like where I'm at and Mm -hmm. so those those little things where it's just like you desire romance and you desire an outward expression of that um, there's an added layer to that w- when it comes to, I think with either same gender romance or if you layer like race on top of it, yeah. um, there's always those little things that aren't always like, you know, that straight people, especially straight white people, don't have to think about. Uh, yeah, And
1: yeah, and that was the element I was gonna share um, to build upon what Chaz and Fiona and Aaron have shared is like, um, like when you add the race gendered piece, So, you know, being Black and queer, so, you know, there's that aspect of romance from, I guess, with the what we call the straight gaze looking in, but then there's also, like, kind of the white queer gaze, too, and also the ways in which, at least for the most of us here, we write Black, Black romance, queer romance. Um, Also, those um, interactions with kind of, I guess, white queer worlds and societies and kind of, like, the racism and the the sizisms and all those areas yeah. that come into play, trying to be black and queer within you know a larger you know queer community, which is predominantly white, like everything else in the world is. Um, and so I think some of those elements definitely you know play at least in the novels that I write. And I think all of us we we share some of those elements too of what is it like to be, you know, not only black and queer within black communities, but black and queer within queer communities or else you know. Communities as well. And that that's a whole nother world in terms of how it plays out in terms of the romances and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I read um, In Case You Forgot, and I think you and Chaz, like the way y'all talked about being black in West Hollywood. First of all, I've never been to West Hollywood. So that's a bummer for me but um but I didn't I didn't have to because you just all described it so well and I didn't realize how isolating it can be in a community where you would think you know we're all you know we're all you know queer we're all you know a part of this quote unquote you know banner of of queerness but at the same time because I'm black I feel isolated within queerness and it was mm-hmm. so interesting to me how you painted that kind of world of, you know, all the white gays are over here and, and you are and doing their thing, but we're over here doing our thing. So yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely see what you're saying with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, you know, you add on top of that kind of the, the sizes, um, and the ways in which, you know, if you're considered fit or not fit, however you define that, um, mm-hmm. you know, and also in terms of, you know, there's a lot of, sexism within, you know, queer communities too, in terms of not being totally inclusive of like, you know, women's or femme spaces and things like that. Although I think you know newer generations are being a lot more conscious of that but there's definitely you know um there's not as many women and femme spaces as there used to be back in the day and everything and um you know i think everyone can speak to their different experiences but um yeah what's hollywood is is an interesting space and an interesting place um you love it and you love to hate it at the same time
0: yeah. <laughs> see I, I live in atlanta i, I i'm like oh I'm like, everybody Black. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how they feel. I don't know how they feel. <laughs> I don't
2: know how feel you, know? you know
0: what I'm saying? But uh, that, that's not actually true. Because then you go to Midtown and you go to West Midtown and stuff like that. You go to Parcel Buckhead. It's not as many, you know what I'm saying, Black people as they would maybe on the West side or this side. So yeah, I, I definitely get that. I mean, um, there's still segregation within queer spaces and communities too, even though it's Atlanta and even though it's predominantly Black too. You yeah, know what yeah 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 for sure sure so all of you are kind of right i know you write independently some of you write independently some of you are also trade publishing and i've noticed that a lot of the um books that are kind of mainstream that are being published um are mostly white mostly um male-male center, not a lot of female-female center romances. Um, and there are all also women who I don't necessarily, I don't think they always identify as queer who are also writing male-male romances. How do you all feel about that? About people kind of writing um, in queer, writing queer stories that may ne- not necessarily be queer and you know, what are they doing wrong in the representation when they're when they're doing that? What are they getting wrong? Because I because I know they're getting stuff, <laughs> stuff wrong.
1: Well, I'll first start out by saying I think people fundamentally have have the opportunity and right to write what they want. <laughs> it may not always be accurate
0: that's, or the, PR, or that's
1: the PR yes <laughs> <laughs> look I'm just trying to, <laughs>
4: it's so funny but yeah
1: so so at a fundamental level people have the right to write what and who and about you know whatever they desire to now if they choose to get it right and do it through a culturally conscious lens is a whole nother story that takes mm-hmm. a whole lot of unlearning and learning and a willingness to kind of be challenged and a willingness to kind of be like you know what I may not be of this identity let me do some fact checking let me get some beta readers let me get some people who are of those identities you know to kind of read what I'm writing make sure I'm on track and not Mm -hmm. writing anything that's just horrible or offensive and things like that um but I will also share and I would love to hear you know everyone's thoughts I did not know until very I was like Last month, years old when I learned that the majority of MM romances, male male romances, were written by straight white women. Yes,
4: I did not know women. that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did not know that because you know I I, I want to say I came of age as an author mm-hmm. with a lot of um black male authors, you know like Keith Boygan, Rashid Darden, Brian Baines, Dane Avery. So these were black queer men. I just thought black queer men. You know, we're writing all the MM novels. And I didn't realize until recently that those white women who are like dominating the marketplace and and the writing space and that was just eye-opening and interesting for me. I would love to hear what other people think about that, if they've had a reflection on that or anything. Or am I going out on a limb (laughs) with my thoughts?
4: I would personally say that I agree that like, I'm not going to stop anybody from writing what they want to write, but I would just kind of put in like two or three things. Like one, I think a lot of the straight authors who are writing male, male stories, not necessarily just romance, but just gay stories period or queer stories period. It does almost feel like a, a money grab in a way where it does kind of feel like you know, this is what people are looking for, but the straight romance genre is very crowded. It is very crowded, um, but you know, male-male romance is hot because people are looking for it. Let me dive into this genre instead. And you do miss a lot of the, the cultural nuance, a lot of the, any kind of nuance when it comes to, to male-male romance. When it's written from the perspective of a a white straight author who is just changing the pronouns, right? Like you can write, like, you know, a lot of hot sex scenes and a lot of hot romance scenes, but if you're missing like the crucial, whether it's some of the details, of, of the love scenes or um, like those uh, crucial details that only gay men have to deal with. You know what I'm saying? But like, or just even just kind of like the societal things of being gay in public. It's not accepted everywhere. Um, you know, missing some of that crucial detail or some of just like the identity that comes with it. I mean, it does feel almost like, you know, feels very opportunistic. The other thing I'll say is just like, yeah, there are a lot of white, authors gay and straight who are in this genre right i think what's missing for authors of color especially is the marketing is like that promotional budget is that whole like you know um it you know when it came to like shopping my book around i'm not trying to like dominate or whatever but like you know, I I sent it to a couple of agents and they were just like, we don't don't get this. We don't think we can market it or whatever. And that's not to put down like anybody uh, who doesn't have an agent or anything like that. But I was just looking at the trend. I was just like, I'm kind of checking a lot of things that you want to see. I'm giving you a full story. I'm giving you a marginalized. I'm giving you characters who are talking from a marginalized point of view and things like that. And I'm giving you like comps. I'm giving you like, here's what you can put the book next to in bookstores. I'm, I'm giving you all of this um, and it's not enough. And so, um, you know, that that can be very frustrating for a lot of authors of color, especially publishing is very white. They're, the statistics numbers don't lie. Um, people talk openly about how like straight white male authors get paid more than women, but then also, you know, white women get paid more than, you know, they're second in line, you know, <laughs> above everybody else. So um, it, it was very frustrating just trying to find representation and all that for this book um, that I have. and I, And I know I'm not the only one, And then when you get out there, it's just like, well, is it a romance? Is it commercial? Is it this? Is that? Is it literary? Is it horror? Is it suspense? And and trying to get on the radar of readers and bookstores and stuff like that, because there can only be one at a time. You know, there there can only be like, you know, if, if, you know, God forbid there's like two gay Black horror authors out there at the same time, you can only choose one, right? (laughs) Like, so, I mean, that's a whole different issue that like anybody anybody who is coming from a marginalized background has to deal with on the industry side.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. but you have the kind of the double the double edged sword of being both black and queer. And then what's even more frustrating is that publishing, whether it be a small publisher, large publisher, publisher big five, you know, in the midst of sort of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything like that, we're just pushing for, oh, we want own voices. We want these stories to be told. We want, um, you know, we want more. We want more. But at the same time, as a result of that, you haven't seen them push those stories out there like they, they claimed that they would. You know what I mean? So I can see how yeah. that, that that's super, super frustrating. So what does good representation look like in in publishing? What would good representation of Black or, or uh, BIPOC queer stories look like? If we if we had the opportunity to really re- be open and honest, what would that look like in publishing to you all?
3: I think the biggest thing is to be able to, is the publisher is actually putting money, marketing money behind these books. Um, uh, you know, they, yeah, they do say, okay, we you, you wanna you know attract more queer um, authors of color, but once they get these queer authors of color, what do they do with their books? What do they do with our books? You know, how do they position them? Do they put them on their book talks? Do they, or TikTok thing? Do they, you know, promote us in the same level? Because sometimes I can see where it's like, okay, we're used to, we're used to these white authors selling really well. And so we're gonna keep on putting our money in these white authors. Mm-hmm versus like let's give our authors of color the same amount of like marketing budget and then let let them let them shine, you know, with with our money behind them. And so I think sometimes that can be like a a challenge. That can be a, a lack, if you will. And then um, it's interesting like being, you know, writing lesbian fiction, queer women's fiction, and being in certain spaces where People are like women are like, oh, I've been reading Sapi Roman since I was in, in college, and I've never read um, a person a, a book by an, a, a, non-white person, a non white person, not with a non white protagonist. Mm. And you know they've been reading for they say this with their whole chest out loud, right? And right. Then, um, then there there seems to be no desire to explore other stories, or just mm-hmm. explore our stories, the way that we've been sort of like forced to explore their stories, you know what I mean? So it's it's interesting uh, in, in terms of like what, what can be done when you have A, this audience that is not willing, seemingly unwilling to, um, to read our stories. And also when the marketing money is not always there or the marketing interest is not always there.
2: Yeah, and, I w- and I would just add, I think it w- could look like not just marketing during like tokenized months. So like not mm-hmm. just marketing on mm-hmm. books during Pi Month or Black History Month, like doing it all year round. Because I think mm-hmm. that's when um, customers will pay more attention to it because we're mm-hmm. overloaded during those tokenized months. Um, and I would like to go on the record and say I've never written, a, um, read a book a queer romance that wasn't written by a queer person and I don't think I need to anytime
1: soon but and and you know I, I think just building upon what everyone is sharing I definitely think like the the marketing support is just so important for all of us who are here and anyone who's listening and um, I think that's an important both process and meeting to be having with, you know, like staying on top with your publisher about, this is what I would like. And it's so funny because Chaz and I, what are, with Busy Ain't To Have With it, our last one, um, you know, I was like, okay, we're getting about four months ahead of publication. I haven't heard one thing yet. And so Chaz and I, we emailed Bostro's Books and we were like, we'd like to have a meeting with you, said publicist about what we would like to have happen. And, um, you know, great meeting and everything. And we ended up having to feed that person a lot and beautiful, beautiful publisher, beautiful person and things like that. But we had to feed them our list of, these are the black book talk people. These are the black Twitter areas. These are the types of, um, you know, outlets that can reach, you know, not only our audience, but also, you know, we, we I, 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 I know some black book talk people too and everything. And um, you know, so it was like, almost we're both authors and publicists at the same time. That's what I will say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's not only like the writing part and thinking about like what your next project is going to be and thinking about all those things, but it's also thinking about in the current present moment and before publication, like how am I going to help my publisher um, sell the book um, and get it to the right people? Because otherwise without any kind of meeting, without any kind of conversation, um, the book will just go out there and just sink to the bottom because no one will give it the attention um, that all of our books deserve and everything. So that, that's kind so of been my experience. Is your white counterparts
5: just, don't have to go into it kind of prepared to do that because they're doing the work for them most likely. In a yeah. way yeah
1: and then it's like really interesting like you know I follow a lot of um, a lot of book reviewers and you know um, book bloggers and things on, on, on all platforms. And it's really interesting seeing, and I don't know if anyone else has a lot of research, I see the same books over and over and over and over uh. and it's like, it's like, well, they have a contract with to put book XXX on 15 different bloggers and it's the same book. And I'm like, there are 35 other books that they could be, uh, you know, sharing and publicizing. So I'm always interested in how you know, and I, I kind of call it the book clickiness of, of book bloggers. And that, that might not be right. But I'm like, if these circles are kind of like real life circles, where people are just recycling the same thing, seeing the same people, there will never be an opportunity, you know, to let other people in. And I think that's for mm-hmm. all of us who are, you know, um, you know, s- speaking here today, I think that's the main thing is we all want to be let in. We all want to open doors for other people in the future. And, um, you know, I, I think we all need to learn how to widen our circles um, and be more conscious about what we're consuming and also, you know, um, what we're sharing with
4: other people too. Let me say okay. something on that real quick because I got an issue with that. Not an issue with what you said. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it's okay if you too. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I am new in this, but I spent a lot of time just kind of researching and looking into like, you know, how do I get a book out there in 2022? Because it's a lot different uh. than it was five years ago. And yeah, you do have to get yourself out there With with book talk and and bookstagram and stuff like that. I talked to other authors, I talked to other folks who had debuts coming out at the same time. I did all queer authors, all authors of color. And you know what I have noticed is the fact that one, uh, you're right, Fred. Some, you know, and they're honest about it. Some of the book talkers do get do do sponsored posts from some of the bigger publishers, but many, there are many, many queer authors, especially queer authors of color who are. Going through independent presses, small presses, university presses who do not have the budget to, you know, pay for all this promotion and send people gift boxes and give people all these eh. free gifts. Mm-hmm. It's just like, but if the if there's a good majority of marginalized authors at these small presses doing their best, and I and I don't put down the, the presses at all, but and you all know this you know, these are the same folks who are, you know, it's almost a double standard where a a lot of the queer book talkers are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we support marginalized authors. And yeah, we're going to put Black Lives Matter and stuff like that in our profiles. But when a Black book comes out, it's just like, it's nowhere to be found unless it has that (laughs) promotional push, which often does not happen. So there's that. You do see, like, the same books over and over and over and I'm just like I follow a couple of accounts on TikTok and it's just like you've talked about this book three times in a week and Mm. it's not and it's not even a sponsored post at this point like you have literally like we I we know this book is coming out like come on now like can I just get a crumb like can I get a crumb of (laughs) (laughs) like can I can I just get like or just like put me in the stack like just put me that's you know I'm not asking for a whole lot. and so what, but also kind of the other side of that, that quite honestly, like, I wonder if, uh, I mean, I know uh, I, I've talked about this with specifically queer authors of color who are writing adult things. So like, you know, people who are not right, it can be romance or not, but if their book has a queer protagonist and they're over the age of 30, um, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've talked a lot with these authors and it does start to feel kind of like a little little exclusive club where if you are a writing young adult, um, it, they won't let you in. It, it, it almost feels like they mm-hmm. won't let you in because they start talking among themselves. They lift each other up. I'm, I'm quick to, you know, shout out another author, right? Like I'm, I'm quick to support somebody else regardless of the mm-hmm. genre. But it's just like, I don't see the same support for queer among the queer authors like the queer authors who are doing young adult supporting the ones who are not writing young adult I think that could be an industry thing I don't know I'm not trying to put anybody down but it is something that like like if I've noticed it and a few of my and a few of our peers have noticed it then what's going on mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't speak for um those book talkers who are in queer spaces who are mostly doing young adult because I do I do tend to see most folks that are doing young adult kind of stick to young adult and it's probably because of the audience that they have that are following them so if they're having young folks folks or folks who are um the YA target between you know 13 to, to 18 or whatever before they hit new adult then they're not they're probably not going to promote or even talk about a book that's an adult book and i will say you know i i haven't been on tiktok that long um but i have you know i have seen where it's so funny like they'll have like they'll say oh it's pride month or whatever whatever women's history month you know here's a here's a stack of books that i want you all to read not one person of color in those, mm-hmm. in those stacks not one you know queer author in those stacks you know, and it's, it's so frustrating. And then they, and then they get upset with you when you call them out on it and say, Hey, you don't have anybody. You don't have any black, it's Women's History Month. You don't have black women. You don't have South Asian women. You don't have whatever in this, in this stack It's pride month. You don't have any black people, you know, or anything like that. And then when you, then you tell them that they say, well, I just can't relate to it. Where, exactly. but when you don't when you have these when when my argument is okay i can't relate to to you know aliens and hobbits but if the story is universal right. you
5: know
0: what i'm saying it's about the story it's about the universality yeah. of the story it has nothing to do i mean race yes is important and, and your gender identity is important but at the same time it's about the heart and, and of the story and how could the story can touch you and I think people especially on book where they have these huge platforms where they get all this money I ain't seen a dime by the way I ain't seen no money but <laughs> um, um you know but I shout out books but for the love of books I shout out books and, and 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 stuff like that other authors that I discover and I love because I love them and I want them to get put on I want people to like you know read their books or stuff you know you know you know Aaron's book I was talking I was talking it up for months like when I got the art and I was like oh my god y'all gotta get this book it's so good I'm like laughing out loud my mm-hmm. husband's like why are you laughing so loud I'm like it's so funny you know and stuff like that <laughs> it
5: and, and you know it's telling so all
0: good. my friends it's yeah so tell it it's so good y'all and, and telling my friends you know about it even Fiona's books I read um bittersweet and I was like oh this is this is ooh, this is a lot, girl. And I'm, I'm telling everybody about these books because I love books and mm-hmm. I love the stories. But I think if particularly non-black, non-queer folks could just be more open-minded, you know, to and look at the heart of the story, and I think that'll probably be, you know, better in terms of marketing for for other authors as well
3: hmm
1: exactly and you know um I try not to read a lot of like what people write like on different sites and stuff sometimes I do and it's always interesting hearing that whole it's a good book but it's just not for me and mm-hmm. I always wonder that it's just not for me I wonder what identities is that rooted in or, mm-hmm. or what kind of isms is that rooted in mm-hmm. and um I mean, I just think it's really interesting hearing that, you know, good book, but it's just not for me, or I didn't think I would really get into it because of, um, oh. which is a whole different, like, kind of combo and stuff. But, like, I'm also thinking about, like, the role of, so, like, you know, we're in Pride Month currently, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think Pride is 365 a year and everything. <laughs> but the role of, of like, like, the Black gay Pride events that used to be really prevalent, and I know now because of economics and, a lot of major cities are being gentrified so there's no there's not enough people to do like black prides anymore and things like that but like a lot of the black pride events um, and I'm, I'm thinking about atlanta atlanta black pride and that's where me and fiona met at a atlanta black pride back in like 2006.
3: Back in the day. <laughs> they
1: used to hold um specific literary circle areas just for yeah. black authors and artists and musicians where people could kind of walk through the marketplace and meet directly with authors and musicians and Black Prides really supported the arts at those events. Um, I know now, you know, they support arts.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> they support a lot of parties too, a lot more parties than arts. Yeah. But I, I think that that that's an interesting conversation at least within Black queer communities that I think we can be having a lot more of Is like how do we, have conversations with our Black Pride events and even the mainstream Pride events in terms of opening up space for people to meet authors, to know that reading is just as great a hobby as going shopping and things like that, you know. And um, I really appreciated the space that because um, that, that's how I met people like Fiona and Keith Boykin and James O'Hardy and stuff was yeah, by those. I love books. those
3: events. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think I have pictures of us, Fiona. when we were baby babies
3: gay babies
0: baby babies (laughs) yes yes. Well, you touched on something that I think you and Erin brought up in your books and it's gentrification Mm. and can we kind of talk about what gentrification is kind of doing to black and queer spaces because I mean I mean like you said there were spaces specifically for black and queer folks to kind of gather and like, you, like, I, like I said, Atlanta, I noticed it here, we don't have those spaces anymore. So can you kind of talk about how that's kind of affected like, you know, kind of think think tanks of, of where people can kind of get together and kind of like, you know, express themselves. And, and like you said, literary, you know, cafes and things like that, you know, how is that affecting like, you know, just having safe spaces for for Black queer people?
1: who wants to take it first,
3: Karen,
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I feel like I'm so old and so outside of all of that that I'm just like, I don't even know what hap- what's going on with Friday these days. Like whatever it's parties or literary events, I'm just like at home.
5: <laughs>
4: okay, so I'll, I'll say this from two perspectives. Uh, in Detroit, we, when I say we, I mean someone who's lived in Detroit for a long time. Um, even though I'm not currently there, um, there are still Black queer spaces, like the Woodward is there, and then a new place opened up that is not Black owned, but a lot of Black people go there just by default of the the demographics of the city, which Mm -hmm. is um, uh, 80% Black. Um, So there are spaces where Black queer people gather. The issue with queer representation on a citywide or regional level um in Detroit is when you look at like who gets the most attention for like activism um or who are like you know if they put together like a list of like who's who in queer Detroit or something like that it would not be black it Mm would be um you know a lot of the leaders of the nonprofits or in the business world and and stuff like that um do tend to be white or not black at all and mm-hmm. so, when it comes to representation on, like, bringing attention to issues that affect Black queer people specifically, like, let's say, um, access to prep or just um, HIV prevention. Period. Uh, you know, affecting uh, um, sex workers, uh, violence against trans people that specifically affects Black trans people, um, or even intra-partner violence that happens among. Uh, same sex partners that um is, is a serious issue in metro detroit. Mm-hmm. Um those issues do not bubble up to the higher level because you do not often see Black queer representation at the highest levels or kind of on the radar of our tastemakers. Like, you know, whether that's the media, whether that's, you know, your most popular DJ that like has all the big parties or whatever, or your, your leading entrepreneurs who have like, you know, all the queer owned spaces that are not the clubs, um, but they're looked at as queer leaders in the entrepreneur community, aren't, aren't Black there and then they get invited to all the round tables and the the task forces and stuff like that and we're i mean we're visible we're i mean we're definitely there but like i think we're kind of seen as, as being like you know just club goers and and, and that's all that's all there mm. in new york where i i am currently um there was you know club langston was the black Gay club in Brooklyn and that closed down and then they reopened about a year later as Wulu. I think the issue we're kind of seeing here in New York is like, where, like, you know, there's a lot of places to go drink and dance, but where's kind of like that cohesive, like, um, salon, I guess, to kind of just like, where's that, where's that Langston, like, who's the Langston Hughes, like, who, who do you go to kind of like chill and and, and talk and have these like cultural conversations and, and things like that i won't say that's missing but i think that's kind of lost in the larger discussion around like um you know because i don't know where to go like i don't i don't know like who's having those conversations um because mm-hmm. it, it's either they're just not promoted as well or like or you know the the focus is on either just kind of like let's co- commune in a joyful you know, drink and dance type of situation mm-hmm. or is the convers or like Detroit, again, is the conversation being dominated by non-Black queer people? So, mm-hmm. I don't know.
5: Mm-hmm. A lot
0: to think about, yeah,
5: yeah. Yeah. Can you all talk about your, your current projects or your most recent projects and what was the inspiration for them? Um, yes. I will
3: jump in maybe. Um, My most recent uh, thing is um, Stud Like Her, here, always have it handy, Um, and it's part of a a trilogy, the Like Her trilogy, uh, Femme Like Her, Stud Like Her, and then Just Like Her, and the book came out of, there's a conversation within the Black queer community around like masculine women being together. And how many times there's this like this negative perception of two or more masculine women who wanna to be together in a loving, romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. And how you know we're giving these women who are queer, who are loving each other, we're giving them all this static and all this crap for being queer, but not being queer in the way that is acceptable to, to other queer people, mm-hmm. you know, which is foolish, but it's a very real thing. So um, that book came out of that discussion or many discussions actually. And, and the, the trilogy itself is as well, like two femmes together, two studs or masculine women, women together. And then um, Just Like Her is uh, about two women, one who's never been in a, a same gender relationship before um, and sort of exploring what it means um, for her. And then the other person is sort of a demisexual person. and. Uh, just dealing with those like new awareness of identity within the queer, the queer community. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I like to have these discussions with friends and also to just, you know, invite people to realize that if they do love in a way that is not acceptable within our queer community, then they're not alone. There is space for them and they need to do what the hell they want to do.
5: Fiona, do you find in Jamaica that there is a space for the queer community and writing and it, is that something that's embraced and accepted or family friends back home still kind of taken aback or uncomfortable with your career and what you do and your life and how is that?
3: So it's, I'll uh, that in a couple of ways. So I've been to Jamaica in a long time. At the same time, there's so many oh, okay. Jamaican communities here in the US. Um, And the the times that I've been to Jamaica, my my ex-wife is Jamaican too. um, It's, if you have the money, if you have the social standing, you can do whatever you want. You can be as queer as you want. You can be as artistic as you want. You can be as, you know, you can find whatever a job that doesn't require, you know, really making money because you don't need it. So it's it's sort of, with the privilege of class and, and economics, you can you can do whatever in Jamaica, and that's been my my yeah. um, experience talking to other queer women there. Even women who are queer and uh, visibly queer, you know, the the masculine looking women who are just you know, they have the money and the social standing, they can do whatever they want. Um, in the U.S., in sort of middle class um, Jamaican families, yeah, it's definitely like you are not or prayed away or you know, we don't want to, you know, really deal with that. So, um, yeah, there, there definitely is pushback. <laughs> and I, I think there hasn't been that much change within our community, uh, various Jamaican communities, regarding the, you know, the queer issue, whether you're being, you know, yeah. out and queer or being an artist or or what have you. hmm Yeah, that's what I kind of picked up on and I wasn't sure
5: that I feel like the change is slow because my boyfriend's Jamaican and I feel like I'm constantly having arguments and having to correct him, his family and cousins and stuff when they're being playful. And I'm like, no, you know, so I just feel like it's so like, it's still, it's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of progression, but there is not, there there is not.
3: At all, at all. I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, our, our communities have been sort of left behind. We're stuck in like, you know, 19th century or whatever with these ideas of what, what gayness is. I mean, there's still queer people in Jamaica who are, you know, in danger, in peril, especially, you know, when they're not rich, but especially when they're in middle class and lower communities, you know, people still want to do corrective rape. They still wanna, you know, um, Yeah, I will not get into that, but it's, it's heartbreaking and yeah, it hasn't, hasn't changed too much in years, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm
5: -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm. but I definitely support so much support for the people who are out and doing the work, the different organizations in Jamaica, like they're incredible Mm -hmm. and so brave. Mm -hmm.
5: Yeah, that is courageous. Mm -hmm. What about others projects and the inspiration for your most recent book?
1: Right, so Chaz and I, uh, our latest last project was Busy Ain't the Half of It. Um, and it's it's a contemporary male-male, second chance, friends to lovers, uh, romance set in Los Angeles um, with elements of like family, found family, um, some savvy teenagers, and like what's been deemed Black excellence. And um, the novel actually centers an uncle and a nephew they're not in a romance they are family but um, the uncle is jesse monroe who is la's number one newscaster and um, the nephew is elijah golden who is an aspiring um, actor but works like 78 jobs to make it in los angeles and does not want his uncle's help who has the money and the privilege and the time to just be like let me call up blah 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 and get you an acting job, but Elijah doesn't want it, and so um, which is cool because Elijah is on a journey, uh, finding self, in his own relationship and things like that. And so um, I don't know, Chaz and I we can both talk about inspiration. I think for me it was really thinking about like the idea of family mentorship, and like what well, like what does it mean like like if if you are you know if you have if you're happen to be a gay uncle and you have a gay nephew or a queer nephew however you'd like to you know um define the identities um you know what role does this family play in the uplift and developing you know the next queer generation who happen to be in their families and everything and i don't mm-hmm. know chaz what else do you want to share
2: yeah and i, course, I, I think share? yeah the genesis of it started when folks because this novel busy the behalf of it exists in the in case you forgot world um, which was our first novel and so when we were um on virtual tour um and people um gave their opinions about the characters and in, in case you forgot many folks wanted to know about the character elijah um, who appeared at the end of the the first novel or of our first novel And so when we started to write this novel, um, we entertained the idea of who is Elijah Golden. And from there, we built this whole nother world around Elijah. And we created um, his family and um, where he he wants to go and where he is today or where he was. And so the inspiration for me came from readers. They were like, I want to know more about Elijah. And um, I usually don't listen to like readers when it comes to like creativity (laughs) but I was also intrigued with this create with this character Elijah um and I think we built a great little world um and busy
5: ain't the half of it yeah
3: you did yeah
5: thank you thank you Chaz you'd be such a good voiceover uh actor because your voice is (laughs) just like there's something about it when you talk (laughs) like wow he has a great voice and then Dang. you'd like intonations, it gets sexy. It's like, oh, like, I love your Ooh. voice. That was very random. Damn. Yeah. No <laughs> well, y'all know,
1: y'all, y'all, I don't know if y'all know, but Chaz, I don't know. You, Chaz was a spoken word performer. Has some spoken word. So there and was it. something
5: I picked up on. Okay. So you're like a performer. You're okay. I was like, there's something about it. It's so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was. And
2: it's working on a
1: web series too.
2: Yeah, I was. Yes, I was. Uh, I did do a lot of poetry um, and I have worked on a web series, but now I'm really venturing out. And, um, I want to write my own series. And so I finished my first draft of a pilot and I'm so excited. I want to give myself, myself a chance to really- That's
3: wonderful,
2: thank congratulations.
3: Aisha. Thank you. That's amazing. That's awesome. Amazing. What
4: Aaron. about you, Erin? Uh, it was, uh, you know, living in New York, there's a siren going by, so I was hoping it would pass, but
5: <laughs> it's hot out,
4: temperatures going up, and so anyway, um, so my new book, Boys Come First, is about uh, three Black gay men living in Detroit. One of them, they're all born and raised in Detroit, but one of them has lived in New York for a while, and he comes, the genesis of the story is he comes back to Detroit, after uh he breaks up with his boyfriend and loses his job on the same day um and so he kind of has this little breakdown and, and drives back home and he links up with his best friend that he that he's knew, known since high school um, and then the third friend is someone that that middle friend has known since college and so the three of them just become this like group of friends and it's almost found family um they they you know they evolve into a found family by the end of the book but all three of them are mid to early, early to mid 30s and just kind of at various crossroads with their personal lives the men that they're dating or involved with in relationships with with their <coughs> families um with their and, and their professional lives and the city of Detroit itself which um parts of it are experiencing gentrification and so there's a plot in there about gentrification that affects two of the characters specifically. Um, I was inspired just by being from Detroit and wanting to write about Detroit. There's honestly not a lot of books about Detroit, period. The few that are out there are mostly written by white authors, both fiction and nonfiction. I know some of these authors personally, um, and I have nothing against any of them, but it's just like, well, damn, like, can i get something from like from my perspective right so like so um mm-hmm. and so there there was a little bit of that quite honestly though the the inspiration behind this book was like i always wanted to do fiction i've been wanting to do it since i was little and i had a little couple i was just playing around goofing around with three the, the this book has three male characters but i started off with three female characters and i wrote a little bit and i just kept it in like a file or whatever when I broke up with my ex uh, in real life, um, <laughs> um, my one of my best friends took me on a boys trip. It was me, him, a few other mutuals that we knew that, but he knew better. And we had like an Airbnb, we had like a shared Airbnb out here in New York. Um, and it was the first time, you know, it was all black gay men except for one or two, I think. And you know we were drinking and and just bonding and doing all that type of stuff and having some really honest conversations about like relationships Mm -hmm. and 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 personal ambitions and you know talking about like you know they won't give me a promotion because i think they i I don't know if they won't give it to me because i'm black or because i'm gay and then Mm -hmm. like the struggles of dating and stuff like that and like um some of the conversations that boys have in the book is just like well should I date a white man or not like because that's that's honestly every crossroads that not that I won't say every black gay man has but a a few of us do kind of reach that fork in the road sometimes so um (laughs) so I was just and I was like fascinated because I actually did not have a lot of black gay friends throughout the majority of the time I was dating my ex um for many reasons but like um, but it was the first time I was hearing a lot of that, not the first time, but it was just like, I was hearing a lot of that honest conversation in real life. I think the last time I had probably heard some conversation like was like that was like a Noah's Ark or something like that. And then like before that, kind of that honest conversation among young black people either came in the form of like waiting to exhale or girlfriends or living single, which are all women. But like, I was just like hearing my peers talking and I'm just like in my head I'm taking notes right I'm just like oh my uh-huh. gosh and then then like the romance talk starts coming up and then some of the sex talks coming up I'm just like oh girl tell me what, what y'all <laughs> doing again <laughs> you did what <laughs> and it was going for how long like and so that's where it all started was I was just like you know and this is stuff we talk about amongst ourselves and our group chats um tweeting each other and stuff like that and so I was just I was just like let me take some of this stuff that actually happens and just embellish and exaggerate and, and then put it in a book so
0: I felt like not only was it like this like you said it gave you like a feel of like Noah's Ark and and you know some Elan Harris and, and stuff like that but it was also seemed like it was like your love letter to, to, to Detroit too you know what I'm saying like 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 all this love for Detroit and things about Detroit and conies and all this other thing that, that my, my homies from detroit always talk about and going to cast and, and everything really, <laughs> you know like these are and renaissance,
4: like a, and, yes. renaissance. And, and
0: renaissance and renaissance yes yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, it was just it was, i really like that too and it's so funny i was like let me say something i will never if somebody ever mentions a bath house to me i would i would look at them crazy after that after that i'm not gonna give them no spoilers yeah after that see in the book i was like uh-uh nope
4: <laughs> i'm gonna say this though because like the white gay authors get to write about that stuff all the yeah. time and it's just, yeah and i'm not saying but you know i'm just saying that i i get i i thought about that and i was just like well if they get to do it then let me do that was it because awesome. i know like i said i know dudes who do it so yeah
0: yeah, it was awesome. I mean it was it was just so it was just so real. You know what I'm saying? All of your books every last one of you on this panel, your books are just so real. And like I said, even if you don't identify as queer, even if you don't, you know, feel like you can, you know, relate to certain situations, you know, particularly sexual or whatever, it's still some there's still humanity in it that you can relate to. <laughs> so I like, you know, you know people you know having dirty towels and stuff like that you know hey you can relate to that male female <laughs> you can relate to that you know what I'm saying um, uh whether you be straight or gay um but it's just it's just it was just really really good and refreshing um mm-hmm. so as you all write these books and you create these characters I want to know like sometimes you know our characters speak to us and so what is it about these characters like in creating them? Have they taught you something about writing or taught you something about yourself? And, you know as a writer, as you create these characters that kind of come alive on, on like, off the page?
1: So I think for me, when I first started um, writing and like delving into publishing, I started out with this whole idea of you know, representation and you know, positive Black queer images and things like that. And that was really my focus when I first you know, did Down For Whatever. Um, that was a lens I was coming to writing with. Um, but then I have since evolved and grown a lot in terms of embracing the complex nature of Black queer real people and black queer characters,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that you know, needing to shift from this idea of you know, like I think a lot of times we think we have to write saints and people who are self-sacrificing, and you know, kind of the the um you know, the the a one top one achieving black queer character. Um, but I think you know, as you all were talking about, you know the the, um, example and the scenes around bathhouses and things like that. I think that black queer people deserve Mm -hmm. the opportunity to be complex Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: real and to present both, I'll say the good and the not so good. Mm -hmm. But our role as writers is to resolve that. And if it's a romance, of course, resolve it in the happily ever after or the happily for now, but also to see the development. And so I, I think that I, as a person, have evolved in like my um, my uh, writing from, you know, starting out with the saintly, you know, do right, A plus, Renaissance high school person, you know, kind of <laughs> character and really shifting into, you know, we grapple with some legit difficult issues and mm-hmm. fun issues in our communities. And that that should be, you know, part of the characters that I write. I don't know how it is for other people who are here.
2: Yeah. It kind of, I wanted to say this earlier uh, about when we were talking about things that we can relate to or not, depending on like your identities. And Maya Angelou said, anything human isn't foreign to me. And that's, I'm a firm believer of that. And I think when, when Fred and I wrote these two novels, one thing I like to do, I like to write from, from many perspectives. I like writing many characters. Um, and in doing so, it requires me to really get into the mind and the spirit of that person. And what that has done for me, what it has enhanced for me in my real life is to really attempt to have more compassion for people, even the people who I may not like in the beginning. Um, because I then tell myself to think about um what that person may be going through or how what that person may what is happening for them to to inform them to do whatever they're doing so when i'm writing multiple characters i'm thinking about what is informing them um, to behave a certain way or to do, decide to do something or not do something and so that has allowed me to have more compassion for people in the
0: process
3: mm. yeah um let's see i think a lot of my characters like during the writing process The characters have helped me more than the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, When I'm writing, and then something I I usually do, you know, timed writing or you know, uh, free writing, and then something that I write ends up echoing something that either I have thought and sort of suppressed, or not even realized I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so when I write it down on the page, especially when it's it seems so foreign and so like and unexpected it sort of slaps me in the face with some reality of my like my own reality and so um I feel like my writing has been therapy for me all these years you know um it helps my writing has helped me discover myself has helped me get over certain things that certain people and and has helped me to become sort of a more emotionally better-rounded person because um you know from whether it's like um my family upbringing or whatever we're not very emotional and so you know on the page you're allowed to to be and then to have as Chad said like all these different kinds of characters dealing with different things and um different personalities and so uh seeing them on the page as well like gives me the freedom to express myself in a more rounded way Um, and it's one of the the joys of my, my writing life actually
4: I would echo everything Fiona just said cuz like I had my own thing I was going to say but then like <laughs> oh my god girl, you just like oof um yeah so I um I mean same thing there is a certain kind of catharsis in therapy in putting the things that you are most uncomfortable uncomfortable with on page and into the characters that you create um, cause I too came up in a family where we hide a lot of things. Like, you know, we, in a culture where we do, um, just overall in a culture where we tend to hide things, I was writing things that like, I wish I would have said to my exes. I wish I would have said to my family members. And so I was, um, creating characters that I admire, uh, to kind of make up for the shortcomings in myself. Um, and so I, there was some, there was something therapeutic in that, but that was kind of the approach I took was just like, okay, these are the characters, these, these are the people I want to be. Um, these are quite honestly, the people I think my friends want to be as well, because they do kind of resolve their conflicts. They say things and they're open about things that, you know, my friends still struggle with quite honestly um, they find their their happiness and their joy by resolving a situation i know people who are still kind of struggling with some of the issues that come up in the book so uh, mm-hmm. creating those like role models um, almost was what kind of drove some of some of what i was doing and
0: speaking about being mm-hmm. a role model I know that all of your works have have impacted and touched readers in different ways. Um, Have readers, like, reached out to you about how your writing has kind of impacted their lives and, and, you know, have have changed their perspective on who they are as maybe even as a Black person, as a queer person, um, you know, as as maybe someone was struggling with their identity, um, you know, talk to us about kind of about that and, and you, you know the the impact of, of your words and, and on other like readers
1: um i'll start so like actually one of the best and the most important compliments that i think that i take personally is like when i hear from someone who says i usually do not read and your novel is one of the first that I felt compelled to read from beginning to end, and um, you know that means a lot to me for a lot of reasons. One, um, because you know, for me, reading is a very legit and important, you know, hobby, part of my upbringing, part of my family's upbringing, and so to me, reading is important. And so when I hear someone who who voices that they never had that as a value or a hobby. You know, I don't judge it, but then I'm also like, wow, something that that I created or co-created helped make that change in someone's life, and it could compel them to find another book or another me- form of media that will bring them into like exploring themselves or identities and things like that. So I just gotta say, that's like the best compliment in the world when I hear someone say they have never read a book before, and I have to admit that still surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me because I know how the US education system is and people aren't encouraged to read and stuff. And I know I'm getting nerdy with this right now, but um, to to hear someone say that their life changed because they read a book just means so much to me, so much to me.
2: I think for me, um, I have really enjoyed hearing people say that they see themselves in the work, especially because one of the reasons why um, I created the characters that um, we created Fred and I was to expand um, expand queer experiences. Um, and so, especially when I think about in this latest novel, there was this character who uses they, them pronouns, something that simple. It's simple to me. June uses they, them pronouns and the, and how the book didn't explain it. Um, and how I also wanted to, I wanted to incorporate a character in our first novel, but I didn't. And it's, it's so interesting how uh, a year or two can change perspectives in culture. And so when we wrote the second novel, um, and this one character, there are many people non-binary or, Um, who used they them pronouns who took to that characters just by that small little fact and how I just like when people say they see themselves in and one of the reasons why I write is to expand our, our worldview
0: anyone else
3: Okay, I guess, <laughs> I, think, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's your turn,
4: though. <laughs> I'll, 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 agree that, um, I, I, and, and it's still very early for me, because it only came out a week ago, but, um, the review copies and stuff like that is, is what I've been looking at, and I see two things, um, I'm, I, get a lot of non-black, non-queer people who say, I didn't know that uh, this was going on or, or, or something like that. And not that I'm writing specific, you know, I, I tell people I'm not writing specifically. I'm not here to educate white people. I'm not here to educate mm-hmm. you. Like this is what it is, right? But it is very, I, I would say encouraging, I guess, to see, cause it's never coming from a place of ignorance it's coming, I I think it's coming more from a place of something we talked touched on earlier in terms of like, well, who do you see in queer books? There's a lot of white characters. And so when you do have black protagonists and you have that non-black person saying, well, I didn't know this, or it was so refreshing to see this perspective and things like that. I do get touched a little bit by that. I'm especially touched by the black queer readers who are reaching out and saying like, thank you for writing this. I see myself, um, I'm glad someone said this, or I'm glad, and I'll, and I'll, you know, no one's ever the first to say it, mm-hmm. but um, I do get, you know, those messages, starting to get those messages where it's just like, thank you for reading this. And that's what really touched me is, is when, because I, cause I did like, you know, I did have black queer readers in my when when I was reading this because I just wanted to like their feedback means uh, carries more weight than than some of the others because that lets me know that I got it right that I that I got it accurate I think that's the journal like I'm a journalist daytime so like accuracy and getting things right is like I can't shake that even though like fiction you're making things up <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um exactly. but yeah that it, um yeah it is it is interesting I like, get the, getting those messages from both sides
3: yeah. yeah yes I definitely agree um I think like Jazz touched on it and Erin did as well like when someone reads your work and for me it's for me was more so, and it was more important and more meaningful when people who were Jamaican and queer read my work and they were, um, they took the time, first of all, to even reach out to me and they were saying like, wow, there are other people like me because your book has shown me that like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only queer Jamaican person gay Jamaican, dealing with these things and, you know, wanting to have a queer family, wanting to, um, to question the, the family's position on queerness or wanting to, to live a full life or even dealing with certain questions. So, um, yeah, when a, a queer Jamaican person reached out to me, I just get like tingly and warm and just, just feel grateful that I was able to, to write and have them find my work um and so yeah that's the biggest thing that's the biggest thing um and just in general when anyone reaches out to me to say whether it's about like the language or the character or the experience or just being able to say you know as a black queer person writing black queer experiences that you know in the sea of everything else they were able to find my work and see themselves and appreciate it that's like that's huge.
5: Mm-hmm. 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 Chaz and Fred, I wanted to go back to you two really quickly because I, I just I love the fact that you all wrote this, these books together and you're our first kind of um, duo writers. Can you all just talk a little bit about what that process looks like?
1: It was absolutely horrible. Trash. Horrible. <laughs> oh, Never again. <laughs> Let me throw this glass out the window. No, 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 no. It, it, so, so one, what helped is um, you know, Chaz and I have known each other personally for a long time, um, through our academic lives um and things like that. And so we had a legit friendship. We know each other's families and things like that. And we also knew and know about each other's like interests and hobbies and things that we grew into, you know, enjoy. Um, and so writing and reading have, has always been kind of a one central piece, you know, of course, the clubs and all that stuff, too. But writing and reading have always been central to, you know, part of our interest. And so um, it was right after I finished my dissertation and um, Bolstrokes books sent this email. They were looking for a call for, you know, new novels or whatever. And I was like, I haven't written a novel in about four years because I was in a doctoral program. And so it was just instinct. I got the email. Chaz happened to work across the hall from me. And I went over and I said, Chaz, I just got this email. You want to work on a novel together? And he was like, absolutely. Yeah. Yes.
2: And <laughs> so in my life, in my personal life at the time was in Desiree. It was. Just, uh, <laughs> yes. I was going through a divorce. And so I was like, I need to do something creative. Hell yeah. Let's write this book. <laughs> <laughs> That's how and it started. So we
1: got together. I think probably that 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 first Saturday, like the following Saturday, we got together at the West Hollywood Library. Um, so West Hollywood is a legit real place. We um, you know borrowed <laughs> one of those writing rooms. We both had our laptops. We opened up a Google Doc, and we're like, we got to create. You know, you take lead on one character you take lead on the other character, Mm. let's just start marathoning and see what we write each other into, like what kind of corners or opportunity that we write each other into. And that was our process. But I think it all, like how seamless it went really stemmed from having a a friendship, Mm. a knowledge of each other, and that trust exactly. so like you know if yeah. he critique, if Chaz critiqued something of mine i didn't take it personally if i critique something of Chaz, mm-hmm. um, i hope you didn't take it personally you know i'm a virgo i can be a little i have my beyonce notes and everything but um yeah i can come up with some lists and notes um for everyone but myself but anyway um
4: <laughs> and so you know i, I think that, that sounds I like a virgo that sounds like my ex <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) It sounds like a renaissance
1: person too, right? We were were born and bred to get A pluses on everything. But anyway, no, so I I think that fundamental trust really helped us with our writing process. And people ask it all the time. They're like, how did y'all write together? Like, like, isn't that harder than writing solo? And to me, they're both um, fun challenges, writing Mm. with someone and writing solo. Um, But that's how we work together. And so then the second novel, wasn't um was was as easy as the first, I gotta say. And that's because I, um, professionally, I took on a different position, different city, way more responsibility. So I didn't have any writing time. So, you know, first novel, we kind of, what do they call it? The the, the panthers and the planners, the plotters.
0: plotters uh-huh. First
1: novel, we just go with the flow, whatever. The second novel, Ch- Chaz was like, Fred, I am so far ahead of you. I'm so <laughs> far ahead of you, Fred. We need an outline,
2: mm-hmm. and so we said, so "Chaz,
1: put me on an outline."
2: And yeah, we outlined, but we used the same method of like the Google Doc and just writing to the outline. So Fred would just wrote to the outlines. That was wonderful. Also, I want to mention: not only did you get a new job, we were also in the thick of the pandemic, so all of our lives had. Just- oh yeah, that. Oh yeah,
1: oh, yeah there was the that pandemic too. <laughs> I don't forget! Yeah, we I know we we're all walking that. around like it's like it's 15 years ago, and we're still in it. I we're still here. <laughs> still here,
3: yeah. yeah.
0: The panorama still here.
1: The Penelope is <laughs> still here.
0: I wanted to ask, um, as we kind of close out, um, as as we talk about building, like if you were to like recommend a queer romance to somebody who wanted to get into queer romance um, and was interested in reading specifically Black queer romance, um, who would you suggest? So like if you were building like a Black LGBT queer canon, who would you suggest that they read first um, as part of like their journey to discovering in Black queer romance?
1: I will definitely say Elon Harris Foundation and then I'm going to recommend someone who I really enjoy his, his work, Rashid Darden, um, I think in the D.C., Virginia area, writes Actually novels know about Rashid. Oh, you know Rashid? Okay, hey, yeah, Rashid. Hey. Yeah. Uh, yes, Rashid <laughs> writes world. about the Black, oh yeah, Fiona knows Rashid too, um, yeah. I think, she, yeah, about the Black queer experience in college settings,
0: mm-hmm.
1: love, and it's the most- I love his writing. I love mm-hmm. Rashid's words and writing. So I'll be quiet. See what else other people recommend.
2: I'd recommend everyone here from the start, just mm-hmm. foundationally. Um, and then honestly, some of my ra- favorites are like James Baldwin, even though his work isn't necessarily uh, around Black queer rela- mm-hmm. romance relationships, but um, him as a person, him as a writer, I would just mm-hmm. recommend him. Um, and then us. I'll just leave it at that. Fiona, Aaron, <laughs> Fred,
1: and chess <Chad.
3: laughs>
1: <laughs> And yes. Katrina Jackson.
0: Yes, even though Katrina's is like yes. that,
3: And Rebecca is.
1: Weatherspoon. And yes. Oh, yeah. yes,
3: definitely. Um, I would recommend Anne Shade. I think she's with you all, with you, Fred, and chess at both strokes. Um I like her writing. It's fresh and new. And um, she doesn't she's not afraid to tackle this different, whether it's historical or contemporary or you know, like short stories, longer pieces. Um and yeah, it's, it's beautiful work. In terms of foundational, Jewel Gomez will always, 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 yes. always yes. be. Yeah. I love her so, so much as a person. No stalking, Joel, and as a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
4: yes. Um, I would say everybody here as well. Uh, I would also say Elon Harris. I would also say James Baldwin. Um, I would say Deisha Filia who did *The Secret Lives of Church Ladies*. Uh, <laughs> now *The Secret Lives of Church Ladies* is mostly hetero. Uh, I don't say hetero, but like. <laughs> uh, it it does concern it concerns both straight and queer black women Mm -hmm. and some of the writing she I mean that's why I think her particular book got a lot of attention is because it does kind of go there with um it's not necessarily romance but it does kind of touch on like the desires or sometimes the desires that um women the women in her stories have to put aside or bury because of their queerness so there's that. I also have to talk about, uh, and I'd be remiss because like he lives on my block, <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, Robert Jones Jr. who did The Prophets, yes, which, again not necessarily romance, but it does center uh, in a historical context. It's um, it takes place during slavery um, to two black. Uh, queer male characters who there are some romantic elements there
1: mm,
4: yeah. um, but it's a larger story about um, a black historical um, experience that's not always seen through a queer lens um, but then again he Robert lives a few doors <laughs> <down> <laughs> <really>. <laughs> I met him last year at our uh, live party and he was very modest about um who he was and just introduced himself and I was like oh for real like my my whole group chat is talking about you right now and so but I, I couldn't say that out loud but then after the blog party I, I sent him a, a quick little message I was just like I, I couldn't I couldn't do it at the time but like I got your book and all that type of stuff so yeah yeah yeah
0: excellent and so finally where would you like to see BIPOC and black queer romance head toward the future like where would you like to see it go in the next in the next decade or so
3: bigger get more money get more advances (laughs) get up in there Berkeley Avon I want to see like those historical black romances with two black women on the cover I want to see us I want to see it in a supermarket. I want to see it in Kroger, in Publix. I want to see us in the pharmacies. Yeah, um, that's my dream. It doesn't have to be my book, but I I want to see that. When I first saw um uh Alyssa Cole's book, the little I think it's a novella. Was it a novella that she did? I was like, oh my god! I saw it in um a bookstore, and I was just like, these two black women together obviously lovers on the cover of this book in a mainstream space. I was like, what? So <laughs> that needs to happen. That needs to happen. Um, and it made me very happy. That's all.
4: <laughs> I want to see everything Fiona just said. I would add, um, I want to see Black queer books marketed beyond Black History Month and Pride Month. Um, oh. You know, every time you know February comes around here's a list of black books you should read June comes around here's a list of queer books you know and and it's always just like the list no matter where the book falls it could be historical fiction it could be sci-fi it could be horror you know it's just always like taking the, the back cover copy copy and paste and like here's the list and like readers aren't always going for that, right? Like, you know, readers, they come into bookstores, or they're browsing through their Amazon algorithm, or whatever, and you'll see the same, like, you'll see the same, like, bestsellers, or whatever, all year long, and then you get hit with all of the gay books during Pride, and you get hit with all the Black books during February, and then they just fall off, like, yeah. yeah, and you still see the same ones, like, and so that's what I would like to see. It's just kind of that, like, I'm not saying that, like, you know, a Black book shouldn't get more attention during February and, 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 and the same for a, a queer book during June. But, like, I would like to see the same amount of attention paid all year. All year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I would like to see our books adapted into film series and movies and then i want that to be the norm and i want the norm to be oh the movie or the film was good but the book was better and then we'll get more folks reading the books like i want that to be part of our norm that could be where i'm at in my personal life like i want to like (laughs) but i want it
1: and i want that too i think everything that um i want everything that aaron and fiona and chad shared as well i think that we should be on top of all of the lists i think we should be on top of all the faves of all the book bloggers and book book talk people and um, i really would like to see all of our publishers current or future um, to really take us and our art and our work seriously and to put as much attention into it as they do the people who we always see on a lot of the um, queer lists and things like that so You know, that's my desire. And also I think like, like for people who are listening, like to open up doors for future generations of writers and artists, um, and to let people know they are not alone and there is always a community there, whether it's us as real people or through the characters that we create.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know I didn't, I know I asked you all this question, but as a reader, I, I really desire to see more black trans stories. Um, I feel like I, I don't see enough of them published and out there. I mean, there are plenty of indie writers who are doing Black trans work. And uh, my good friend R.M. Virtues and, and, and is doing a lot of that writing as well. Um, but, you know, someone like, like them should be huge. You know what I mean? Like, like there should be more Black trans voices um, writing um, in the romance space so i i as a reader i would like to see that um so if y'all know anybody <laughs> that's writing you know just just hit me up i, I will push your book out oh yeah the place. I, I really really will and i, I will support you 200 really percent
1: <clears throat> i believe there is a, an author on bold strokes books named sander santiago
0: mm.
1: who is currently writing um Um, Black trans stories um, in fiction and so that might be someone to check out too. Chaz, were you about to? I
2: was just going to briefly add that Fred and I, we talked about this how like we are Well, I really want more fiction writing and so like right now I think it's very popular for Maybe like trans, non-binary, black people, or uh, queer black people to write like nonfiction, write mm-hmm. their narratives, their memoirs, and that's mm-hmm. wonderful. But I really do want more of the fiction things too, because there's a lot of truth in fiction. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So finally, tell us what your next projects are going to be, and and you know, can you give us like a little teaser about what the next projects are going to be that you're working on? Hmm. if y'all want to i mean if you want to keep it so, nice.
1: so um like so i don't have anything specific to add but i just gotta say i so i just realized and i feel like i just learned like a month ago i was yeah a month ago years old about the specific formula for writing romances i know i'm gonna sound so bad because i write books were romantic but I, I i read this book called romancing the beat by oh Hayley,
0: yes yes which just has a formula Crazy. Yeah. 20 yeah.
1: chapters.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: What each chapter should be. Yeah. And so I have this big post up in my space with the 20 chapters and what each beat should be. And I'm like, that can make writing so much easier. So, but I'll <laughs> recommend it for any writers. This is how I'm going to work on my next project. I got the formula, romancing the beat, the 20 <laughs> chapters, 10 pages each, what should happen in each scene. So super helpful. I think it's going to help me write faster and and way more legit in terms of the romance beats that we're supposed to hit as romance
0: authors. Yeah, yeah, it's like, that's a great craft book. Yeah,
3: it is. I agree. Although sometimes it's easy to fall off. You're like, oh, these are the beats, but that's then you're like, beat, beat, beat. Oh wait, skip. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like when you have the outline yeah. and you're like, yeah, this outline is fantastic. When you're writing the actual story, the outline yeah. just sort of like runs away. Mm-hmm but it's a good one to have, I agree.
4: Yeah,
3: a really good foundation.
4: I don't know what I'm working on next because I'm still like in the newness of what I have now, but I do want to explore more Black queer male characters, whether they're in a romance or not, just kind of digging at the complexities of, of that. And like, Also just kind of going into like some of the tab, like even more into the taboos of like what we don't always talk about, whether that's like Mm -hmm. in larger society or between ourselves. So Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's just like, you know, I I know um, just as a very, very small example, uh, the attitude towards like open relationships and, and things like that, or how like I know a lot of black queer men who, judge it completely they're just like oh you know you can't do this or whatever if you with me it's going to be right you and me ride or die all the type of stuff the black people i do know who are in open relationships are very secretive about it like it's just kind of like you know there's kind of that judgment around it um and so like you know those are the kinds of stories i'm interested in seeing more of and maybe i'd like to do on my own like i said i haven't thought about it yet where we kind of like like unpack some of this stuff like why are we afraid to confront some of these, talk about these things, experience some of these things. I don't know.
3: Hmm.
0: I wish Katrina was here, because I mean, she she writes polyamory and like open relationships so right, well yeah. with such like complexity and nuance and like gravitas that like, I, I like, she, her writing has really like made me think about those relationships in a very different way. Um, because I, I admit I, I was a little closed-minded towards those types of things like why would somebody want to you know but <laughs> but reading it in a romance helped change my mind about it so yeah I yeah it's just so I'm shining not Katrina anyway she's, not the
3: yeah, she's a phenomenal writer yeah. I I definitely yeah. get writer envy when I when I see her stuff I'm like seriously why is this <laughs> making me cry right now and making me cry at the same time like exactly. what's going on <laughs> exactly. yeah her stuff is like this um, my next project, um, it's untitled, but it has to do with pastries. And it's about um, a single mom, a single divorced mother um, getting into a relationship with her high school age daughter's uh, math tutor. And then there's some Hollywood stuff happening there. They don't live in Hollywood. They live, they're Hollywood adjacent. And so there's a, a Hollywood star in there, their macaroons. There's a cute
0: dog and hopefully lots of juicy, spicy sex.
3: Oh, that sounds good. (laughs) It should be out next summer with uh, with Ilva. Oh, nice. Awesome.
0: Oh, that's
2: great. I'm not working on a novel at the moment, um, but I have two ideas. One, I got to talk to Fred about this too. Figuring out what we can do with In Case You Forgot and Busying the Half of It, seeing how we can make that expand somehow. I don't know, but i want to work on that second is um i'm working on um being a playwright and so uh, our a right playwright i am not making any plays <laughs> <laughs> um, so i'm working on a series now and i finished the first draft of the pilot so i'm really excited about that and of course it's going to be queer and black and brown um currently centered in la no title yet but can, he,
0: can we get can I make a suggestion can we get Harlem story out of there
2: don't um, we love
4: Harlem
0: yeah. uh, that'd
2: be great well think about it. look I'm like I don't take suggestions from readers what
1: did you like about Harlem or what would resonate about Harlem I
0: just like that they were young and, like, trying to figure themselves out. So, like, that journey of somebody young and trying to figure themselves out and who they are. I just like that. I I, I don't know. I, I wish we would have more young. I, although I know y'all don't do YA or young new adult. But it's that kind of that story of, okay, I'm trying to figure out who I am and, you know, my sexuality. And I, that's what I want.
2: I appreciate that. And Harlem seemed cool in my head.
0: Yes, very cool.
2: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Maybe, okay. <laughs> I got a baby at least. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, thank you all so much um, for coming on. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, where can we all find you on social media?
1: Uh Frederick Smith, Fredericklsmith.com. And all my social medias are F Smith. 827, Mm -hmm. 827
4: is
3: my birthday, August 27th. Ah, okay. I am at social media also um, at Fiona Zed. I think, um, I think on Facebook, I'm Fiona.Zed, but you can still find me at Fiona Zed. So like IG, Twitter, um, what is that thing I'm on? (laughs) WordPress. (laughs) it's a this Fiona Zed with backslash Fiona Zed, whatever the platform is and also you could I'm um, googleable because I picked a good on un, unknown in the U.S. last name <laughs> it was pretty unique so just Fiona Zed me and I'll be I'll pop up okay
2: you can uh, my website is chazlcruz.com and on social media twitter facebook not Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok is C-H-Z, C-R-U-Z. So that's Chaz Cruz without the A. Okay.
0: Because
2: there's a famous photographer with Chaz Cruz, by the way. I'm like, oh, so I'll take that back.
4: Um I am, I'm Aaron K. Foley, because there's another Aaron Foley that just took all the everything. <laughs> and so I... yeah and he took everything but like I'm Aaron K Foley everywhere uh Instagram Twitter it's the handle for my like author page TikTok Gmail and my website too yeah awesome
0: awesome well again thank you all so much this conversation has been so like enriching and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I, I cannot thank you all so much for just opening up to us on the mm-hmm. podcast yeah this sharing,
5: was really great definitely yes, enjoyed this yes. Mm-hmm. yes and sharing Aww. everything so uh mm-hmm.
0: thank you all and um i hope we can talk again
3: sometime <laughs> thank, oh, thank nice you for so having us and thanks for helping to arrange this and fred thank you for all of the magic you've yes. done <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to get oh, this thank together.
1: you all you all and everyone here was magic Yes,
2: yes. Yes. Everyone here is magic. Awesome.
3: Mm -hmm. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. I'm
5: gonna
0: follow you all on TikTok. That's my new (laughs) thing. Once again, I want to thank our guests, Erin Foley, Chad Lamar Cruz, Frederick Smith, and Fiona Zedd. I'm Tati Richardson and tune in next week. For the season three finale of Romance and Color. Y'all take care.
5: See you next week. Bye.